We're looking this morning at Romans chapter 12. Yesterday we began a message entitled, What is the Will of God? And we looked at the text from Romans 12 and verse 2, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And the word what, what is the will of God, is in the interrogative. That means it's to be a question. So the question is, what is the will of God? And so yesterday we started out by looking at that. And the first thing we saw is that God's will is a plan or a purpose for your life. Now, it's not a simple one, two, three step plan. It's the whole of your life. But God has a plan. And we learn, first of all, that God's will is revealed to us. Number one, generally, we have the scriptures of what God's will is for our life. And then specifically, the leadership of God in our lives individually. Jesus died for you. God set his love on you. God has a purpose for you. And then secondly, we learned about the will of God regarding as a plan for our life, that it will create tensions in your life. Nobody does the will of God without experiencing tensions or struggles in the heart. Why? Because we live in a world that is in opposition to the will of God. I mean, think of our Savior, who was perfect, struggled with the Father's will of going to the cross as human, and he asked if the cup of suffering could pass from him. And yet, at the end, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And foundational for the will of God is that surrender to his will. And then we said that the will of God, therefore, must be pursued and it must be proven throughout the whole of our life. That is that we always have to pursue God's will. It's not something you do at 19 or 20. It's something that you do at 40 and 50. It's something that I have to do every single day. Even today, I met with someone over the phone. At the very end of the phone call, there was from the other side, the person saying, Lord, please bless what we're doing and lead us in your will. So it is something that we're to be doing all the time. Secondly, we learn that God's will has prerequisites. How do we know that? We see that in the text of Scripture. He says that you may prove. And that word that there means so that. In other words, what he's saying is you can't get to here until you've gotten here. And so what preceded that statement is what he wants us to do. We call that the prerequisites. And the prerequisites to knowing the will of God in your life begin, first of all, with your personal dedication of yourself to God. The surrender of your life. And I say the surrender of your life, it's your body that surrender to God. Your hands, your feet, your eyes, your mouth, your ears. That is that God would live out his righteous purposes through us. God works in us in order to work through us. And it is the surrender. And that's the, that's really the tension point. Because all of us have within us a nature that is self-centered. We call that the flesh. And we have a nature that is God-centered. That is called the spirit. And there's this battle. Uh, Paul said, the good that I would do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. 
He says, why do I do this? It's no more I, but sin that dwelleth in me. And so everybody struggles with this. But there has to come that complete surrender of your life to God. And then secondly, there has to be a transformation of your mind. Renewing the way that you think. Thinking biblically. And that's where we stopped yesterday. And that's where I'd like to pick it up. Because in thinking biblically, there is a positive side and there is a negative side. The positive side is that you're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's to be a renovation of your thinking. But the negative side is that you be not conformed to this world. Some of you have heard of the missionary who was martyred down in South America many, many years ago. Fact is, the anniversary of that martyrdom was this week. He's known as Jim Elliott. But many of you also know that his wife became very well known through her service and her writings, Elizabeth Elliott. Listen to what she says about this statement, be not conformed to this world. She said, the will of God is not something you add to your life. It's a course that you choose in your life. You either line yourself up with the Son of God or you capitulate to the principle which governs the rest of the world. You line yourself up with the Son of God, that's the surrender of your will to Him, or you capitulate, you give into the principle that governs the rest of the world. And what is that? It's the desires of our sin nature, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so, if I could say it this way, in discovering the will of God for your life, it has to be fundamental in your mind that you will live differently from the prevailing culture that surrounds you to know the will of God. Why? Because God's will is not the world's will. When God, when God's word came to the nation of Israel through Moses, when they entered into the land of Canaan, he said regarding the heathen nations around you, you must not do as they do. Jesus said to his own disciples regarding the Pharisees, he says, do not be like them. Peter writes in his letter in chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, For us as believers that we are to live the rest of our life as we live it out in this body, listen to this, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And then Paul says it here, don't be conformed to this world. Don't Imitate them. Don't be squeezed into their mold. Don't follow their thinking that is anti-God's truth. Don't be a copycat. And so what do we discover here? We discover that Paul sets out two value systems. That is the system of the world and the system of the will of God. And this refers to the great Twos in the new, in, in the, in the scripture. What do you mean by twos? Well, it's, it's choices that God gives us. And it's not like God gives us like three choices. I grew up in the day back when if you had a television set in your house, you only had three channels. 
See, I grew up in the days before color TV, and I'm not that old, folks. And you had three channels, ABC, NBC, CBS. There were only three channels. There was no remote control. The remote control was the sun when dad said, son, go change the channel. But you don't, that's not the way it is today. You live in a world of multiple options of all kinds. Well, when you read the scripture, God doesn't even give you three options. He gives you two. He says there's two directions in life, a broad way and a narrow way. He says there are two decisions in life, entering through a straight gate or or entering through a wide gate. He says there's two destinies in life. There's destruction and then there's life. He says there are two masters, God or money. He says there's two foundations on which to build your house, on rock or sand. He says there's two loves. There's the love of the world and then there's the love of the Father. He says there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God's dear son. And he says there's two value systems in the, in this world. He says there's the world and their system and there is the will of God. And these two systems don't just contradict each other, they collide with each other. Oftentimes in head-on wrecks. Why? Because... The way we view life and its purpose and meaning as it's revealed in the scripture is very different than the way the world views it. What we view as success in life is very different from the world. What we know to be as what is truth is in contradiction to what is truth in the world. What is evil contradicts. For we're living in a day when now the world can call evil good And they can call good evil. How we view the practical things of life, sex, money, marriage, all of those things are viewed differently. There are two sets of standards that go in different directions so that there's no possibility for compromise. You go one way or the other. So my question I want to set forth before you is this. Which way are you going? What is your pursuit? Have you come to a place in your life? And by the way, the struggle with all believers is always compromise. Always. One foot in the church, one foot in the world. And you must decide. If you're going to know the will of God, which way are you going to go? So we have the prerequisites. Set forth. And then number three, we learn that God's will not only has prerequisites, but God's will is a process. Would you go back and look at your text of of scripture? It says that you may prove what is that good, perfect and acceptable will of God. I mentioned yesterday in the ESV, it says that by testing, you may discern. And whether you look at it proving or testing, the whole idea is this, that the discovery of the will of God is a process that you go through that involves asking lots of questions. 
where you do an investigation. And an investigation, first of all, is in your own heart. What do I really want? And secondly, an investigation in this world. God, what do you want me to do in this world? So we have so many decisions to make. And so we have to, we have to test it. We have to examine it. Just like you understand the fact that you take a course and you take a test to discover the knowledge that you have or don't have. So in discovering the will of God, there is this sense of a testing. It requires examining, inquiring, probing, seeking. Probably the best way to say it is the word seeking. And you're asking questions. There's always a wrestling with the will of God because you're wrestling in that you don't know exactly what God wants and you want to do what God wants you to do so that there's that period of time that you're not sure and there's a wrestling in your heart. That's normal. There's a waiting because timing is so important. There is, in some cases, a sweating it out. We often call it faith sweat. That is, you're waiting on God to do something, and you have a tendency where you want to do it first. And by the way, we have lots of examples in the Bible of people who didn't wait, like Abraham with Hagar, and out comes Ishmael. Instead of waiting on God's timing to lead in your life. And I'm going to tell you something. Everybody in this room is going to make mistakes. Thank God for the blood of Jesus and thank God for the mercy of God because God is not going to, his will is not going to be messed up by you. Okay? So there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of failures that you're going to experience in your life. But what you have to understand is that the knowledge of God's will involves a process, a pursuit. So when I'm making decisions, God, what do you want me to do? What does the Bible have to say? I'll give you a simple illustration. Um, I surrendered to the call to preach. And by the way, I believe that not everybody can be a preacher. Now, everybody can tell the gospel story. I'm talking about the preaching of God's word. Not everybody should be a preacher. You say, who should be a preacher? Those whom God calls. Well, you say, well, how do you know if you're called of God? Well, that's the point of what I'm trying to say today. You need to pursue that. And by the way, some of you need to be pursuing whether or not God has called you into the ministry. He doesn't call everybody. I get that. But how does he call? Well, you should know how he calls. You say, well, I don't know. Well, find out. Probe. Seek. Read the Bible. There was a young man I met in a church years ago as I was preaching in Mississippi. He came up to me after the service. He says, how do you, how do I know if God's called me into preaching? I said, well, do you want to be a preacher? He said, yeah. I said, then God's probably calling you. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. I said, do you, I said, you don't seem to be a, I mean, we all got sin, but you don't seem to be a guy that doesn't want to follow God. If you got a burden to do it, well, that guy ended up becoming an evangelist. God is probing. God is working. Would God approve of this? Is this worthy of God? Have I seriously prayed and pursued the Lord over this matter? Am I surrendered to the will of God? What are my best counselors saying? 
Do I have a burden for this? Does God seem to be leading me in this way? Is this the right timing? And this is what we should do with all of our life. And so let me just very quickly just give you some of the key elements that we use, if I could say the tools in discovering and discerning God's will. Number one, first and foremost, is the Bible. And that is we should be in the Bible. In God, there are general truths in the Bible we know, but many times God will lead through his word. I mean, how often have we in the providence of God read the Bible and that day God gave me a very specific word from his word. Do you understand what I'm saying? A word from his word. God speaks through his word and God has given me to strengthen my soul, to direct my life, to inspire my faith. Bible is number one. Number two is prayer. God intends for us to seriously pray about his will. Lord, what do you want? Number three, there should be, if I should say it this way, a yielding or a surrender to the Spirit's guidance and control. Do you remember the Apostle Paul was led by the Lord not to go preach in certain areas in the book of Acts? He wanted to go to a region called Bithynia, and God said, don't go there. He said he said he wanted to go to a region near Ephesus. God said, don't go there. And so he goes to the city of Troas, the ancient city of Troy, and he's praying, and he has a vision, and God leads him to go across the Aegean Sea to preach the gospel in Greece. There is a leading of the Spirit of God. And then number four, there is the counsel that comes from wise people. When I was a student here at Bob Jones and I was working on my master's degree, I was really, really struggling about what God wanted me to do and how long he wanted me to stay here. And I had a decision in my mind I thought I should do, but I decided to go to counselors to ask their thought on that. And I went to numbers of them here on campus, and I went to the counselors that I thought that would advise me to do something differently than what I was thinking. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a tendency to go to the counselors that will say what we want them to say. You need to go to somebody that you think will tell you what you, what, what you don't want to hear. And my shock and surprise, when I went to those people, they actually conferred that they thought my thinking was right. And then number five, you, you can't negate what we call circumstances. And when I say circumstances, I'm not just talking about random stuff. But I'm talking about the belief in the providential hand of God. Seeing God's hand at work in your life. And then finally, number six, and the simplest way to put it, is just timing or waiting on God. Because timing is of the essence. It could be that the decision that you want to make, you're in the right direction, but it may be you're a little too soon. And so generally, when we don't know what to do, God wants us to wait until we are confident that this is his will. So this is just a part. There's so much more I could say. But this is the process that we go through. And then finally, very quickly, as we close out, God's will is always positive. Would you go back and look at what he says? That you may prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. He is saying here that the will of God is positive in its very nature. He says it's good. The Greek word for good here is the word agathos. There are two words in the New Testament for good. One is agathos and the other is kalos. 
You say, what's the difference? The difference is this, that agathos is something that is practically or usefully good. And then the word kalos is something that is aesthetically good. So if I could say it this way, one, agathos is a good violin, quality. And Kalos is a good violinist. They take it and they play it beautifully because some of you could take a beautiful violin and tear it up. Uh, Agathos is good music. This is good music. Kalos is a good musician. Agathos is, this is good quality paint. Kalos is, this is a really good painter. Agathos is, this is really first class, really good quality food. It's not the food you buy at Walmart. This is a really good chef who can make good food. This is Bobby Flay. Okay? So you understand the difference. The word good here is the word agathos. You say, man, you're you're not done yet in your, your overtime. I understand that. Okay, so what he's saying here is that God's will is always agathos. All things work together for agathos. It's good. It's good. This is the good thing. The word acceptable means well-pleasing. When God said of Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased, he is saying that this brings pleasure to God. And then finally, he uses the word perfect. Perfect here does not mean sinless or without him. With, without any imperfections. It means whole, complete, and not lacking. It means the fulfillment of your purpose. That is, that God's will fulfills His purpose for your life. And if that's the nature of God's will, then the effect of that for you is, you're gonna realize for your life, this is the best thing. This is good. You're gonna realize that this is going to bring pleasure to you. Not that it's always easy, but there's going to be a pleasure in your own life of doing God's will. And then finally, it is going to bring to you a sense of satisfaction. That I've lived my life on this, on this earth to please God, to honor God, and to complete His purpose. And therefore, I will have a sense of satisfaction of His purpose in my own life. So God has a will. And may the Lord grant you the grace to pursue it. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day.